After four months of only speaking over intercom, when air traffic controller Pippa Edwards finally meets pilot Andrew Boyce-Jones face-to-face, they discover they've got much more in common than simply working at the same airport. In fact, they both need a date. Tired of every relationship ending before it's even begun, Pippa wants to evade the inevitable question at her dreaded 10-year school reunion in Cape Town. And Andrew needs to get his well-meaning family off his back about settling down. The solution seems simple. A pact. A fake dating pact. For as long as it's mutually beneficial. It's perfect. Or at least it would be if their very real attraction wasn't about to make Pippa question everything she thought she wanted. Joe Watson is a best-selling author of romantic comedies, including Love to Hate You, which has sold over 100,000 copies. She's a two-time Wattie Award winner with over 50 million reads on Wattpad and 85,000 followers. Love at First Flight is her latest book. In this episode of PageCast, Joe is in conversation with author Gail Schimmel. Welcome to PageCast. Um, today I am your host and my name is Gail Schimmel. I am a writer of novels, um, domestic noir novels, the latest of which is Little Secrets. And I have a new book coming out in May called The Finish Line. Um, and I am also the host of another podcast called The Hidden Lives of Writers. Talking about books, interviewing writers, thinking about writing and reading is one of my favorite things to do. And it's a particularly favorite thing to do when I am speaking to someone whose work is just phenomenal and who has had such an interesting career as our guest today does. Jo Watson is an international bestselling author. Her website says of over 10 books. I'm putting the count at 13, but Jo can tell me if I'm right or not. She writes contemporary romance and she writes for adults and teens. These include her Destination Love series, her Starting Over series, and a growing number of standalone books, of which the latest we are discussing today, which is the brilliantly named Love at First Flight. But Joe, before we get into writing, before we get into this book, you did not start your your career going, I'm going to be a writer. You started a different career, and I'm going to ask you to start by telling us about that. Hi, Gail. Thank you for your lovely intro there. Well, I mean, yeah, I started studying theatre at AFTA, and I kind of qualified with an honours degree in theatre. And I mean, what is one supposed to do with these things in South Africa? So I did theater for a while and it did okay. But then I realized like I didn't want to be, can I say this? Maybe it's a bit rude, like struggling. I didn't want to be a struggling artist because I also don't believe that artists should, you know, we should, you know, we shouldn't struggle for heaven's sake. So I kind of went into TV writing. I did like production. I actually even did styling for a while, which was a segue into something bizarre. You know, I had a production company and I did copywriting and it was just this whole conglomeration of things that I did. And it was never writing books. That was not on my radar at all. But then I just decided I had a bit of a, a vibe where I wasn't vibing writing without being too specific. I wasn't like in the vibes. 
any more of what I was doing. I just wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't gelling with me. I was over it. And so I think I told you, I just hit Google like one does, you know, and I was like, how do you become a writer overseas? How do you write overseas? How does one make money as a writer overseas? You know, those kinds of things. I stumbled on this competition that was being held on Wattpad to write a book. I'd never heard of Wattpad. And I discovered it was a social media writing site where people can post books um, and read books for free. Without going into too much detail, one thing led to another. I landed up writing a book. It was the first book I'd ever written. I posted the book. It just blew up. It got like millions of millions of reads. And then I won the competition and I got a publishing deal. And it was weird. It just, it was weird. It was like this career change overnight that I wasn't expecting. I'd never thought of writing a book. I'd always been a writer. But the idea of writing a book was so foreign to me. I mean, a book is a huge thing. There are a lot of words in a book. Like, how does one even go about writing a book? And I think you go about writing a book without thinking about writing a book. Because I think if you overthink it, you don't write it. So that's what I did. I thoughtlessly wrote a book. Your publication story, your how you became a writer story is one of my favorites. But my best part of that story is the way you, you imply that becoming a writer is a clever path to not being a starving artist. Whereas most of us know being a writer is a straight path to being a starving artist. I mean, most of us, Joe, have to have day jobs. I'm not bitter or anything. Theater, for example, perhaps, you know, copywriting, like that kind of writing, at least there's jobs for that. You're not scrounging around on the stage. <laughs> and I felt quite scroungy doing theater from time to time. I mean, we did these like shows where like, you know, we had no budget. So five of us used to sleep in a small bedroom floor on like little mattresses while we put in on a show at the Grahamstown Festival with hardly any money to feed ourselves. You know, that felt like scrounging. So no, no, you know. no, it doesn't sound pleasant. I wouldn't do that. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound pleasant at all. I'm glad you stopped it. Joe, your latest book is Love at First Flight. And I'm going to ask you before we get into any discussion of it, for the people who haven't read it, although they will read it soon, for them, can you give us a little elevator pitch, a little taste of what is Love at First Flight about? Pretty much suck at elevator pitches, but here I go. So the first trope we're going to deal with in it is fake dating, which is a trope I think we all love. We all love throwing two people together and making them fake date. And obviously, we're going to shove them in one bed and, you know, stuff happens. So basically, it's a story between Pippa, who is, um, I'll say, she's an autistic air traffic controller. And she falls in love with uh, Andrew, who is the pilot, during their fake dating session. And they speak every day on the, the radio, you know, like, you know, Flatbird 066 come in, this is City Tower, all these ATC talks. So they speak all the time and they've never met. And then they meet in the airport and recognize each other's voices and get into a fake dating pact. And we all know where that leads. So that's the story. Excellent. Excellent. One of the things that makes romance writing interesting to me is the way that one leans into the tropes. Um, mm. So one doesn't try and avoid the tropes. One leans into them. What is it you think about the fake dating trope that people love so much? Well, it never happens in real life, does it? Have you ever heard of anyone <laughs> in real life fake data? I mean, this is just not anything that happens in the real world. Name one person you know has fake dated someone. No, That's a very, happen. very good point, yeah. I mean, rom-coms would make you think that every day people are fake dating each other left, right, and center. No one's fake dating. Huh? Um, who, who fake dates? I don't know. <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's funny 
And, you know, it's something that really doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> and it's funny. So, I mean, it's, it happens in Hollywood movies all the time to the extent, like all you say, time. that you think everyone's fake dating. No one's fake dating. One of the things um, that makes Love at First Flight so special is the character of Pippa. She's an amazing character. Can you tell us a little bit about her and how you built her and where you got your inspiration for her? Love at First Flight is definitely one of the most personal books I've ever written. And I actually don't, it didn't start out as personal. And I actually shy away from writing personal things. But somehow this book just got away with me and the words just stole personal elements from my life and slapped them down on a page. I don't know. It was sort of out of my control in a way. Um, I started writing Pippa as an air traffic controller because I'm obsessed with like airplanes <laughs> and air crashes and all that stuff. Like I'm a little obsessed with airplanes. I actually, during that time that I started writing the book, I got a very late in life autism diagnosis. And I think this is not super uncommon at the moment. I think a lot of, well, not a lot. I mean, but they, you hear stories of women, especially women, because, you know, it presents very differently in men and women. Women getting these later in life diagnoses. Because in our day, it wasn't like a thing. In our day, it was kind of just, oh, you know, Joe's a little bit eccentric. You know, she's a bit nutty. You know, she studies theater, whatever. You know, it was always just branded as something else. And, you know, also if one suffers from mental illness, you know, you kind of don't see through that either. And it's kind of maybe it's branded as a mental illness or it's branded as the quirkiness or whatever. And so when I started writing this book, I kind of got, I got a diagnosis. And then it just sort of evolved into Pippa becoming autistic. That's, it just, it just happened. I really enjoyed writing the character, but I was also like a bit reticent because obviously when the book comes out, I'm not sure how people are going to respond. I know there've been a, f a few books here and there about that, but I don't know. You just don't know how people are going to respond. And so far the response has been amazing. I mean, the reviews have been, like my mind has been a bit blown with the reviews which is really weird because you put out a book and you actually, I, I thought maybe people aren't going to resonate with this. And apparently they do, which is cool and also strange, but also really I'm very grateful and I'm, I feel very okay. I, I'm glad. I'm glad about that because when you put something out that's very personal, the last thing you want is people to tell you how crap it is. You prepare yourself for that, but you don't really want to hear it. So that's Pippa. I think I strayed from the question there a tad. Do you have regrets about having exposed yourself a bit more than usual? Yes, a little bit. Really? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. I'm not that kind of person, a little bit. So I wrote, the, okay, so I've had a few comments and reviews. I had one, I'm not going to get specific because, you know, this is not a bashing session. We, and we're not going to hate people out loud. We'll talk about it separately and make a little voodoo doll and sort them out. Exactly. So there have been a few people that have perhaps commented and said, you know, clearly I'm not who I say I am or, you know, this was not written by someone like this and who am I? Do I have the credentials to write this? Okay. So that is kind of a little hurtful when one puts oneself out there and then people question you, who you are, your authenticity, what you've been through. Um, that doesn't feel very nice. So I had huge regrets at that point. But then I also realized that like, people jump on bandwagons, unfortunately, reviewers. And I thought to myself, oh, dear, oh, dear, people are going to read this. They're going to jump on a bandwagon and that's going to suck. So I kind of made a TikTok video where <laughs> I regret this. I regret it, but I don't regret it. But I regret it, but I don't regret it. I don't know. It's a complex thing. 
I made a TikTok video where I actually just read my diagnoses out loud on the TikTok video. I just read them. I was like, here it is. This is from my psychiatrist for medical purposes. It was sort of like a not sort of a nice F you, but that would be a horrible way of saying it. So I just felt like, let's put it to rest. I am who I say I am, have what I say I have, um, and I don't want to be questioned about whether or not I can write this book. So putting that out there for anyone else who's going to... So yes, I regret writing a personal book in a way because it has opened me up to some things that actually aren't super pleasant. And I do feel like I don't like to share personal stuff on, on my platform, but... I know a lot of other people with a social media platform really get behind causes and stuff like that. And they kind of speak about things that are, are real to them, important to them. And I know it helps other people as well. So I'm kind of mm. going, okay, Joe, you're not just splashing this about because you're splashing this about. Like I actually should maybe use my platform in a more constructive man manner to talk about mental health, to talk about, you know, autism spectrum and stuff like that. So I'm kind of trying to go with that at the moment as the reason behind it and not like I feel like I have to defend myself well anyway I think very importantly it adds a richness to the character it really it adds a layer to the character that isn't always present in rom-coms it it, it adds a layer of um of issue to that isn't always present in rom-coms. For me, the book is so much richer for it. I'm tempted to get sidetracked into the question of whether only a person with an autism diagnosis is allowed to write a book with an autistic character, because that's a very interesting debate. I think we've gone a bit off track in terms of fiction writing. This is fiction, guys. It's called fiction. It's not called uh, autobiography, memoir. That's not what it's called. We're writing fiction. I don't understand how we can't, as writers, imagine the inner world of someone else. Like, I'm not like, you, you can't, it's, it's become this thing where it has to be like an own voices, like hashtag own voices. You have to have a thing to write about a thing. I mean, we, we don't ride dragons. No one rides dragons, but it's, a, it's, you don't question someone riding dragons mm. in a fantasy. It's called fiction. But as soon as you seem to touch on other things, it, it becomes very clear that People don't like you talking about something unless you've like lived it. But I just don't get that because it's fiction. I'm not writing a memoir. I'm not writing an autobiography. So I do think that people that don't suffer from depression have the right to write a character with depression. They do. It's you. It's weird how things have happened, and it's it's a recent development in the writing world. You know, like that book um, Geisha that was written a million years ago by what's it Arthur Golden whatever. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, wouldn't fly these days. He's a white male in America no. writing about Asia. Stuff like that wouldn't fly. That that wouldn't. He'd be cancelled. And book. That's what's happening. And you know, there's this cultural appropriation. Obviously, you know, we don't want to appropriate cultures. But I also think, why can't you write about another culture? Like, I'll probably get cancelled for saying that. But I don't know. You know, it's a complex thing at this at this time. We could debate this. We could debate this all day, but I've been told I have a time limit, so we're not going to. We are going to Let's move go. on a little bit to about how you've said you love aeroplanes and airports, but, but this book goes beyond just, oh, I love aeroplanes. The character goes, oh, I love aeroplanes. It gets quite technical. How did you go mm. about doing the research for such a specialized job? Okay. Well, I have to say that if a pilot or an ATC had to read this, they'd probably cry. Because it's not actually accurate in any way 
to, to, for me to write this romance, I had to take some creative license. There's something called a sterile environment, which when you're under 10,000 feet, you're actually not allowed to talk about anything personal, right? That had to fly that major thing out of the window just so these two could have a romance, right? So you're not really allowed to talk about personal stuff in a sterile when you're under 10,000 feet or whatever. So that I threw out the window. I mean, I threw so many out the window. So <laughs> I'm really sorry to pilots and air traffic controllers, but I needed to write a romance set. I wanted to write a romance between these two. I took creative license, but um, I did speak to a pilot. Um, I watch Airplane Investigation. I think I've watched that you know series about a million times. I listened to hours and hours of air traffic control speak, and I I copied. I just wrote stuff down, and I consulted a, pi- a, a, pi- a pirate. No, I consulted a pilot. So, but like I say, I had to shorten a lot of stuff. Like I have a, a note in the beginning of my book saying it takes a lot more than what I wrote to land an airplane. So please, when you're trying to land one, do not use my words. Please don't use my words. So whilst, yes, there is a lot of factual stuff, like the stuff they're saying is factual. It's not really necessarily in order. I've cut giant chunks out and you're not even really supposed to speak about personal stuff. You know, I think air traffic controllers are probably so grateful to you because I don't think I've ever read a rom-com about an air traffic controller before. And it's a job where normally the only thing I knew about them before this is that they're very suicidal. So um, I am pleased that I th- I'm sure they are pleased. Um, and I, it, was, it adds a lot of interest. They're the heroes of, the, of aviation in a way. I mean, during 9-11, they grounded and moved so many planes around in the air under those stressful conditions. I mean, those people are called upon in the most stressful positions. And, you know, that you've got like 300 souls on board a bloody A bus, A380, whatever. Now I'm just throwing out numbers or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, your life, the pilot is flying the thing. But if something happens, you know, you're kind of, you've got to, have, you've got the same responsibility as a pilot there to get this plane on the ground as well, you know. I mean, those people I was thinking about, like I watch, you know, there's that border control at Dubai airport that I watch. The amount of planes flying through that airport, the air traffic controllers, I mean, I just feel like it's got to be so stressful. I mean, their screens are just lit up with thousands of these little things all the time. You know, I watched this <laughs> thing the other day where it a drone closed down the airspace around Dubai for ages. Those poor air traffic controllers, they must have been shuffling like crazy. So I think they're often overlooked in terms of the aviation world. And the rom-com world. Um, you're making me laugh so much that I actually was, I've, I was been looking for my, my mic mute button because I'm so scared I'm not going to be able to control it. And that's one of the things that for me is very interesting about your books, because on one hand, they are hilarious and I laughed out loud and I am not, listeners, I am not an easy laugh. I am not a cheap laugh. Um, for me to laugh out loud, you have to have written a properly funny sentence. But then there's also all the spice. For, the, for those who are not familiar with the genre, spice is the new word for sex. We don't say books are sexy anymore. We say they're spicy. I don't know why. I just do what I'm told. So you're balancing the spice and the humor. How does one do that? How do you pull off sexy and funny? One minute you're laughing, the next minute you're turned on. How do you do that as a writer? That's a very good question, isn't it? Well, I mean, (laughs) 
suppose you're not writing them at the same time, which helps. I mean, although some of the sex scenes, there was a bit of humor in it, right? Look, mm-hmm. I defect with humor as a person in the real world. I think that's pretty obvious. So everything I like, I mean, everything, I find the humor in everything, although I'm not very good at telling jokes um, or understanding jokes, hashtag autism. But I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say to you, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not going to try to say something clever here because I literally don't know how one balances it because I think maybe it just comes naturally. I just, I write in a very sort of naturalistic manner. I don't really plot. I just go for it. So I kind of don't, there's no thought process. There's no thought process in balancing. I just kind of go for it and roll through it. Petrifying to a plotter like me um, who has become more and more plotty. The more I write, the more I'm, the more I'm plotting. Your, your process petrifies me. Um, I, I want to, Talk about, I will go back slightly to this idea of tropes. And those who are not familiar with the word trope, it is when you write almost a cliche. A trope is almost a cliche in plotting. Um, and in rom-com, there are certain tropes that one writes, and you have written the fake dating one. Are there any rom-com tropes that you hate that we will never, ever see from you? Oh, I don't like bad boys. I don't like alpha males or bad boys. You're never going to find me riding an alpha male. I'd kick an alpha male if I had to meet him in real life. There's nothing sexy in a guy who's alpha and possessive and, you know, anyone touches you, you're mine. I mean, if someone said that to me, I would honestly, I would, they would regret that. That I don't find sexy. You would never find me writing a trope that has like an alpha male in or a dominant bodyguard that's like, you know, never. I know it's very popular, dark mafia bosses that you know, manhandle the woman, you know, physically, sexually, emotionally, not my vibe, not into it. And I think one of the things that is lovely about your book is the strength of the woman characters that I would give this, despite the intense spice, I would be happy for my teenage daughter to read this and get that model of, of how to be a strong woman in a romantic relationship. I do think, I think that's something you do very well. Thank you. And I want to just say, sometimes I get reviews where people think my female character is a bit rude. And I read them and I go, I would say outspoken. I would say not a doorstop. I would say someone that's not taking crap. So, but I think maybe those are the people that should read, they obviously enjoy something else. All I must just say, I did write a book once that was a little bit alpha male but I was trying to hit hard tropes and just sell a crap load of books which I did. I mean, that book sold like 150,000 copies. It's the book I regret writing the most. And you'll never find me write another one. But I was in a very commercial mood. And I was like, let me just give them what they want. And it worked. Let's talk about that. Because because being a commercial writer, one's made you feel a bit ashamed. But at the same time, why must one be a starving artist? What is the shame in being a best-selling writer? And it feels to me like you are doing the opposite of what most South African writers do. So most South African writers, we start in South Africa. And if we are very lucky, we we are appreciated in South Africa. We sell about 12 books. And then we realize that we better do something international if we want to be able to eat from our writing. Um, that's the path I'm on. Um, but you've done the opposite. It feels to me like suddenly... You're becoming a big thing in South Africa. Is it just me? I don't know. Can you talk to me about that, This your South African journey, which feels a bit fresh and new to me? Yeah. 
So I, I purposefully hid myself in South Africa. Um, I, I didn't want, and you know what? Can I just say something? I, I've been into bookstores now where people recognize me. And um, I've actually, I, and then the other day I was chatting to someone totally unrelated. I was buying a plant from them. And I messaged them. My, they were like, what's your email address so I can send? And I said, Joe Watson. Okay, I'm not going to give you my email address. Don't email me. But I gave her my email address. She's like, oh my gosh, I don't mean to be rude, but are you Joe Watson, the writer? I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> but okay, it's nice. I don't, I'm not, I, I don't not appreciate it. But I never wanted, I'd ne- I've never wanted to be recognized or, um, you know, that's not my vibe. So for me, writing internationally was a very cool way of like, I don't ever need to have a photograph or an interview happening in South Africa. Then my agent said to me, she said to me, you need to get famous in South Africa. And I said, I don't really want to. And she said, I'm telling you, you must. And when your agent tells you to do something, you say, cool, how high I'm jumping now, you know, should I do hurdles? So I did. I did that. And now I I actually... I got recognized just the other day when I was in exclusive books on that William Nickel, you know, so it's, it's, I mean, I really appreciate people buying my books. I love that. It's amazing. And I, I don't not like, you know, having connection mm. with people it's easier behind a social media wall. It's easier when the person is in the UK. Um, so I deliberately didn't, I've deliberately hidden. I mean, I think you and I were in the same book appreciation group and you didn't know I was in it and I was the writer that had written a book and then then we got outed by a mutual friend who then just outed me in the group and I was like well I was you know I was trying to hide sort of in plain sight and now I've been outed so yeah and and I think you have and I have to say I love that part. I, a woman once screamed when she saw me, and it's still the best moment of my life. Um, I love that part where you get recognized. So maybe it will grow on you a bit. Maybe you'll 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 become you'll become one of us who stalks around bookshops hoping to be recognized and feeling sad if you're not. I don't know. I'll tell you why. I, I, as an autistic person, I don't handle unexpected, spontaneous things that happen that I haven't planned for. So I'm like thrown I'm like uh, um, I'm thrown so I haven't I haven't expected it I haven't planned for it I haven't practiced the conversation in my head um, it wasn't on my radar for the day so then if something unexpected happens like if I run I mean I think I say in my my book in the author's note that running into people I know at a shopping center is literally my worst fear I've hidden behind plot plants I've run in the opposite direction down aisles and I know they've seen me do it and I apologize it's not, I wasn't being rude. I just, the idea of having a spontaneous, unplanned conversation with someone that I didn't know I was bumping into that day terrifies me. I just, it's like, and I didn't know why that kind of thought thing happened. I don't know why. I didn't know why until I got this diagnosis, why I ran away from people in shopping centers. I hid behind pot, shopping, you know, like literally I'll hide behind a pot plant if there's something there. Um, you know, I'm not just a bitch. I have a reason for it now. <laughs> Joe, despite hiding in plain sight and having had to be outed, your books are set in South Africa. Yes. Talk to me about why, what made that decision. I had to fight that decision. Um, I had an agent. My previous agent was like, you've got to set your books somewhere else. And I was like, I don't know anything about New York. 
I don't know anything about living in New York and the intricacies of living in New York. I don't know about the, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain, you can research living in a place, right? But you're not ever going to feel it. There's sights, there's smells, there's a tension in the air. There are all of these things that that I think only a person that lives there knows. I don't know that. It's going to come across as authentic. It feels like a lie. I don't like lying. I'm not good at, I'm very bad at lying. Then we go hashtag autism again. Very bad at lying. I'm very bad at pretending. I'm very bad at those things. I need to write what I know realistically, et cetera. And I just can't, you know, it's just, it just, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I am planning on setting the book in a neutral environment where I don't mention the country and it, it won't be a thing. The country won't be a thing. I'm very curious how that will go for you because I have tried to do that thing where you don't name a country. And then I find the moment you have to put them in clothes, you've got to decide what season it is. And the moment you decide what season it is, you've got to decide what hemisphere you're in. And then having decided your hemisphere, what do you know? Suddenly you know what country you're in. I've, I have tried so many times to not be in a place. So I'm looking forward to report back on that. Talking of reporting back, talking of trying and failing things, can you give us a little bit of insight into your writing process? Your writing process in terms of you've told us you don't plot, how you start a new book, how you what gives you that inspiration, but also you know I'm obsessed with this, your writing process in the day. What time do you write? How many words do you write? What do you need to write? So despite the sort of, you could say, chaos in the non-plotting or whatever, I think I've said this before, I'm quite like mathematical in my writing process. So I look at my book, I've got 100,000 words to write, 110 is usually what I have to write. I've got X amount of months, I divide it by the days, I try and write Monday to um, Friday now. I used to write over weekends and stuff, but now that I've established myself a bit better, I don't have to write as much, which is great. And then I just divide it and I go, great. And it usually works out to about 2,500 words a day because I usually give myself a similar amount of time to finish a book. But um, let's talk about plotting for five seconds here. I had to finish a book in a hurry and I was stuck. I was like, I can't. I just don't know what to do. I found someone who actually helps you with plotting. So I phoned this person. We talked through my book. We talked through it and we, we spoke about scenes and all that stuff. Then she just sends me a breakdown on a page and goes, scene one this happens. Scene two, this happens. Scene three, that happens. She gave me the skeleton of everything we had spoken about in black and white. And I've never written a book faster in my life. So actually, maybe I need to start thinking about plotting. It was very helpful though, because I think I don't look at, I, I don't know. I'm not, I feel like sometimes I lose track of the bigger picture in a book. I don't know. I get stuck, stuck on the minutia or the words or the scene or the moment. And I think I needed to talk through someone who actually does this for a living, this little, this plotting person. Amazing spoke to them. We spoke through it. They translated all of the stuff in my brain into a structure. And I followed the structure and it actually worked out amazingly. So I think I might do this, but I think I need someone else to interpret my information. I don't know. That <laughs> I'm doing a thing at the moment called headlighting where you do it for the next few chapters. You So you don't try and plot the entire book chapter by chapter, but you go, okay, what are my next five chapters going to be? So that you've got that. And it does, certainly does make one write faster. And there's a very important aspect of, of you as a writer that I want to talk about before we run out of time, 
which is that you are part of the new generation in that you are a TikTok author. You have a strong TikTok presence. Can you tell us about how TikTok has influenced and changed the book buying and book selling scene? Oh my God, it's been the biggest, I don't know, it has been, I think since eBooks, since eBooks were developed, this has been the biggest thing in in books in years. It's amazing. It has sold people's backlists and their books like crazy. You get one TikToker to punch your book. It goes viral. You sell millions of copies overnight and then your backlist gets sold. It's a, At the moment, TikTok is the single most important thing for authors to be on. And I would say the single most important selling platform. You don't buy the books through TikTok, obviously. Although, I, you know, I predict all sorts of things in that, mm-hmm. in that aspect. And, and I, think it's, I think it's good because it's peer-reviewed. It's peer-reviewed. It's people you follow that you know have similar tastes to you. And then they review a book. And you believe them and it's real and they're reviewing it. And off you go and you go and buy the book. It, it is amazing, TikTok. I mean, if you can break through on TikTok, you know, you could buy a jet. You know, fourth wing sold a million paperbacks. I think in one week, my agent was saying, don't quote me. She, my agent is the agent that represents Rebecca Yaros' fourth wing. And that just blew up on TikTok. So when books blow up, yeah. they blow up. I'm not talking about little blow ups here. We're talking about atomic bomb blow ups, blow outs, whatever. <laughs> just general blowing around. <laughs> big, big blowing. <laughs> It's fascinating. Anyone who's listening who has not been onto BookTok, which is the bookish corner of, of TikTok, you don't have to go somewhere else. You go onto TikTok and then you can search hashtag BookTok and you will find the writers. And what I find amazing is you see, especially this time of year, people have been going my 10 best books of last year. And then you'll see there are two books in there that you loved. And then suddenly you've got a list of eight more books to read because you know that they've got the same taste as you. And it's amazing, which brings us to the next very important question that we cannot miss, which is who would be on your list? What do you love to read? Who do you love to recommend? I've read the most fantastic book recently. Um, I think I recommended a book to you that you weren't sure about and you landed up liking. Am I right? What was it? What was it? No memory. Okay, well, let's not go there then. We won't, we won't play memory games yet. I have no working memory, so you'll have to remind me what you recommended to me. And, and the podcasters can't see it, the listeners, but I'm showing it to you. It's called All Night Pharmacy by Ruth Madievsky. Excuse my Russian pronunciation. And this is an amazing, amazing book. Like, I would recommend this nonstop. Then I read another one called The Wife by Maud Ventura. And it was basically a woman who's obsessed with her husband. Did I say the husband or wife? The book is called My Husband. And she's obsessed with her husband. The whole book is just her obsession with her husband. Nothing happens in the book. You just spend a week in this woman's head. And I think, I I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I will say I think she's some some borderline happening. Um, So those are two books that I'm reading. I guess I read quite literary fiction. It's now called... People are calling it sad girl fiction or hot girl fiction. Seems to be the new subcategory for this. It's usually about like hot, sad girls. So they're all hot, but they're sad. So if you go onto TikTok and you Google, it's something like hot girl fiction and sad girl fiction. I'm not even joking. Um, They're hot and sad and they have issues. 
You know, they have a lot of sex. And that's and a genre. It's a genre now. Um, so it's an actual thing. So I've been told that that's kind of what I read. And it's, it's usually uh, people that are struggling with issues of sex, sexuality, drugs, depression, mental illness. So they're kind of books that are very real. I think the characters are, for me, relatable. I find them quite relatable. Um, so, yeah, that's what I read. I don't actually read in the genre I write in. I think that would be too much. I think I would drown in romance if I did. So I like a good old-fashioned break from romance, and I tend to go for something that is completely not romantic. It's gritty. It's real. It's raw. It's a bit ugly. Well, I'm I'm going to say, for the sake of people who are trying to decide whether or not to read you, that I am not a big romance reader. I love it when it's excellent, but I don't like it because I find it can be very boring um, because you know how it's going to end. One of the things about a rom-com is you know how it's going to end. There's no, a dragon is not going to come out of the sky and destroy the world. You know what's going to happen. And that makes it for me impossible to write as it turns out and very hard to read um, unless it's excellent. So if you're wondering if you would like Joe's work, Emily Henry for me is the one that comes the closest um, that, that, it's got that same kind of using a trope, but in a different way with fresh characters, very readable. Even though you know they're going to end up together, you carry on reading it. Um, so that for me, I don't have you, have you read her, Jo? I have read Emily Henry. I have read her. And like you say, it's very layered. I think Paige Toon is another one um, who is also writes in, haven't you read? Yeah, no, she, I think she's another one that also writes like that. Her stories are romance, but they, they're layered. So, um, I mean, I have written some romances that I think have no depth what, whatsoever, and I think I would describe as fairly vacuous. <laughs> Again, those sold quite well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I tend to err more towards giving the character some kind of depth or some kind of issue or something, because for me, I find that more entertaining. Um, Although there is space for a pure, I mean, I've written one, Love You, Love You Not. That is just pure farcical. It's just a farce from page one to the end. I don't see any depth in there. You know, I try to insert depth and I look at it now and I'm like, mm, I just threw that on for, let me add some depth's sake. But I don't really write like that anymore. I'm kind of erring more towards the side of writing with some kind of depth, I think. And listen, there's nothing wrong with a bit of farce every now and then. We all need a bit of farce in this world we live in. But what I you've just that. said leads me leads me to my my final um, question, which is, what can we expect from you next? So, <laughs> all right, I'm laughing here because I did that thing again, where I went. Okay, you see, you see, I'm talking, but maybe I'm lying a bit. I say things, but maybe they're not entirely true, because I. I basically did another thing where I went, what do the people want? What do the girls want? And I went, right, Joe, <laughs> I'm going to give them exactly what they want in my next book. And there is so much sex in that book. It's like, it's just, there's so much sex. You mean spicy? You mean there's so much spice? There's so much spice in that book. I just went full on spice. You know, it's a second chance romance um, there's the angsty, pulley, pushy kind of vibe. I did that. I did it, guys. And I made it so raunchy. I mean, it's, it's spice. Maybe it's not spicy for some of the, the hardcore spice readers, but, but okay. there's 
But I, I've given the girdies what I think they want because everyone wants spice these days. And I tend to shy away from it a little bit because I find that to be one of the least interesting parts of the book, to be honest with you. I mean, sex is, you know, there are only so many ways you can have sex, I think, personally. Um, it's, <laughs> Some people might disagree. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I'm, but I'm talking about, I'm not talking about Fifty Shades kind of a vibe because that's a totally different genre. But the act of it is really very similar. And it's hard to make it original every time. Often I find that to be the least interesting part of the book. So, but this time I, I, I just, I dove, I dove straight into that. I dove, I, I just swam through, I gave the spice, I gave it hard. So my next book, it's going to be, it's going to be spicy. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's going to be very commercial. It's going to be very spicy. And it will probably sell really well. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Well, I am absolutely petrified of that, but but for the meantime, love at first flight is there is spice. So if you are petrified of sex, then don't read it. But if you like a bit of spice, a lot of humor, and a really really good good story, the kind of book that you just want to pick up and read in one go, then Love at First Flight is for you. It is available at all good bookshops and it is available online. And I would also suggest that you follow Joe on TikTok because that's just a pleasure in itself. Um, and then you, we will find out when this very spicy book is launched as well. We can be front of the queue if that's what we're into. And Joe, I wish you so much luck with the sale of this book. I hope that it is a South African bestseller as well as an international bestseller. And I am thrilled that you have come out of hiding and are part of the South African literary scene now. And thank you for speaking to me today. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for, you know, blurbing my book. It was amazing. And thanks for this interview. And you're also fabulous. Thanks for listening to this episode of PageCast. We love hearing from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, please contact us at pagecastpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep reading and listening.